I'm a higher ed CMO and I have a confession to make. This job is stressful and I am feeling a bit burned out. And judging by my Twitter feed and my LinkedIn feed, I am not alone. That's why I'm thrilled to be talking to Alan Stein, author of Sustain Your Game, in this episode. Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO, the podcast designed for higher education marketers. I'm your host, Jamie Hunt, and I am so excited to have this opportunity to share insights and inspiration. With Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO, I'm designing a different kind of podcasting experience. With each episode, I'll be bringing in a guest for a deep dive into the challenges and joys we all face in higher education marketing. After each episode, you can join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag HigherEdCMO. I would love to see this become like a book club, but for a podcast. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at at JamieHuntIMC, that's J-A-I-M-E-H-U-N-T-I-M-C, for more opportunities to connect. Thanks so much for joining me today, Alan. I am super excited to have you on the show. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your background and and what led you to write Sustain Your Game. Well, I'm equally excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this since we put it on the calendar and, and, and really excited for a fun conversation. From a professional standpoint, I spent most of my career as a basketball performance coach and spent most of that time focused uh, at the high school level. Uh, And my goal was to help players improve their on-court athleticism and bulletproof their bodies against injury. Uh, I was very fortunate to work at two different high schools here in the Washington, D.C. area uh, that have produced over a dozen players currently playing in the NBA, uh, the most notable of which is Kevin Durant, who plays for the Brooklyn Nets. And, And working with such an elite group of high schoolers, that actually led to some work Uh, with Nike basketball, with Jordan Brand and USA basketball. So I had an opportunity to work some events for already established players like Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Stephen Curry. So I've had a very unique journey where I've I've been able to to see what it takes to climb that proverbial mountain and and reach the, the top of one's craft. But I've also seen what it takes to sustain that level of performance and not be derailed by things like stress, stagnation and burnout. And five years ago, I decided to make the very distinct pivot to leave the basketball training space uh, and take all of the principles and, and, and lessons that I'd learned through the game and teach folks how to apply those uh, in business and in their everyday lives. And I'm absolutely loving that journey. Uh, and then as far as the book, I've written two books so far, Raise Your Game and Sustain Your Game. And, and each of the books I've written really reflect where I was in my life at that time and what it was that I was going through, what I was having difficulty with. So I'm always trying to write the books that I need to read myself. So the impetus for writing Sustain Your Game was I was struggling with stress, stagnation, and burnout and wanted to to try and figure out ways that I could overcome that and uh, felt like once I got a better grasp of that, then I want to pay it forward and light other people's candles and put it in a book so hopefully others can find it to be a helpful resource. And it is a fantastic book. I am highlighting something on almost every page. Some of it is things that are like, yeah, yeah, I know this, but I'm not doing it. And some of it are as things that I feel like this is new, this is good, helpful information to help me in this 
this journey of beating stress and stagnation and burnout. So I really appreciate the book. And we talked a little bit before we started recording about what the impetus was for this episode. And that is seeing so many of my colleagues and peers talking about the level of stress and burnout that they're feeling right now. From your perspective, what is burnout and what causes it? Well, before I answer that, I mean, I, I just want to, you know, second the fact that, you know, not only was I experiencing it, but the numbers and, and the research and the data was pointing to the fact that stress, stagnation and burnout were already at all time highs before the pandemic hit. And, oh, and I'm geez. a big believer the pandemic actually threw kerosene on that fire and, you know, made those numbers go up exponentially. So uh, anyone listening to this. If you are struggling with stress, stagnation, and burnout, please know you are not alone, uh, that, that most of us walking the earth are dealing with that uh, to different degrees. Uh, as far as burnout's concerned, burnout's a fascinating one. Um, I'm 46 years old, uh, so I still consider myself relatively young, but I've experienced extreme burnout twice in my life and in, in my career. And the first time was as a basketball player. I was fortunate enough to play, it was Elon College at the time, it's now Elon University down in North Carolina. And around my sophomore and junior year, I was getting so burnt out on the game of basketball, which was really a major red flag um, because basketball was my number one passion uh, since I was five years old. I mean, playing the game of basketball brought me more joy than anything else. And yet I hit this wall where I no longer enjoyed the game. You know, playing the game actually felt more like a job and an obligation than something that I did for fun. And then uh, I started to approach burnout five years ago when I decided to leave the basketball training space and enter the corporate keynote speaking space. Thankfully, I, I saw the warning signs and was able to make pivots before I actually reached burnout, but I knew that it was inevitable and I had to make that change. Um, so I've, I've long been fascinated with burnout and, and burnout is when the hours you're putting in, the sacrifices you're making and, and the, the time that you're devoting to your craft or relationship or what have you uh, is no longer in alignment with where you find meaning, with where you find purpose, with where you're curious and fascinated by, um, where, where you feel most fulfilled. You know, the, the, the hours that you're logging in and the stuff you're doing is not in alignment with your core values and your strongest held beliefs. So it's when there's a splintering effect between what you're doing and how it's making you feel. And uh, part of burnout certainly is the overwork component. You know, if, if you're not sleeping and exercising and, and recharging your battery and you're just logging an inordinate amount of hours, which a lot of people are, it will wear you down physically, mentally, and, and, and emotionally. But if you're doing that and the work you're doing, you're not finding meaning or purpose in, that's when burnout will, will occur for sure. Are there tangible things that leaders can do to defeat that, but also to help the people that they lead defeat that? Absolutely. Well, the first is, and, and we can look at it kind of either side of this, this splintering. The, the first is making sure that you're doing everything you can to keep your bucket full. Uh, as I just mentioned, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, if that's appropriate to you. But you're doing the little things that allow you to become your best self. Uh, so from a physical standpoint, you know, you're moving your body, you're getting in some exercise, uh, you're eating well, you're getting quality sleep. 
uh, from a mental standpoint, you know, you're in control of your inputs, that what you're reading, watching, and listening to um, is stimulating and it's challenging you, whether those are podcasts or documentaries or books. And then emotionally, you're connected in your relationships. You're getting quality time with the people that mean the most to you. If you were making the time, uh, and you have to make the time because you'll never find the time, if you're making the time to do those things consistently, then at least you know you have a baseline of showing up as your best self. So that's part one. Uh, and then part two is making sure that what you're showing up for is something that you find meaningful. Uh, you find that you're being of service to others. You find that you're making a contribution to something bigger than yourself. And this can be your actual work and your vocation. This can be a relationship that you're in. This can be a hobby or, or, or something you do in your leisure time in your community. But you need to make sure that you've got some, some meaning behind whatever it is that you're showing up for. Um, and if, if that's where you feel like there's a problem, then you can look to make some minor, you know, some minor pivots. If we use the hypothetical that you're working at a large organization and you're starting to approach burnout, you know, is it possible that you make a tweak to the role that you're playing? You know, the, the, your actual job description, you know, you don't necessarily have to leave the team. Maybe you can just play a different position or work in a different area or maybe work with a different group uh, or work on a different project. So there's lots of things that, that you can try to tweak before you decide to make the jump and try something else completely. So for a leader, would it be important to be receptive to your team members saying, hey, I want to try something new, try something different, try a different role? Absolutely. I mean, I think of, you know, if you and I were to brainstorm a list of the best leaders and the qualities that make up the best leaders, uh, I believe an openness and a willingness to not only listen, but to make changes um, would be close to the top of that list. So I'm a huge believer, uh, first and foremost, um, if you're going to expect it of your team, you need to expect it of yourself. So we need to model the behavior we want to see in others. So if, if you're a leader of an organization, the very first thing you need to do is guard your yard and make sure that you're showing up as your best self and that you're not approaching burnout. Once you've done that, then you need to be very open and receptive with high empathy and compassion that, to know that your team may be starting to experience those things as well. And what can you do to encourage them, to support them, um, to help them make those changes so they can keep their fire lit. And you know, this is something that should be emphasized and reinforced and openly talked about uh, on a regular basis. You know, this, this can't be one of those things where as a leader, you're leading from your ivory tower and you're not in, in touch with your people. And then once a year, you do some type of performance review. You know, you need to walk amongst your people uh, as often as you can and really be on the pulse of how they're feeling. And, and one of the best ways to do that is to make sure that you're having periodic check-ins with your team where you're not talking about work. This is not about knocking on their door and making sure they're, you know, they're meeting their deadlines. This is simply just saying, hey, what's going on in your world? You know, how's your family? You know, do you have any trips coming up? Do you have, what, what books are you reading? Like stimulate an actual human connection and conversation and leave the door open where they feel comfortable sharing. And, and you know, I think another trait of exceptional leaders uh, is vulnerability, is, is not only showing vulnerability, mm -hmm. but is allowing and encouraging vulnerability and letting your team know, look, if you're feeling stressed or stagnating or burnt out, you don't have to hide that from me. In fact, I wanna be your biggest fan. Come to me with that and we can collectively work together to hope get, you know, ho hopefully get you out of that rut. 
Hey all, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO. I want to take just a quick moment to thank my friends at Nectar who made this new Enrollify podcast possible. Nectar brings affordable communications infrastructure to college campuses. It's like Slack, but for the higher ed student experience. Nectar integrates seamlessly with all major LMSs, making it easy for instructors and administrators to build emergent learning communities in all of their classes and groups without the extra work. Their focus is on boosting student engagement and reducing instructor stress by building a learning community in every classroom. By leveraging familiar technology like instant messaging channels, Nectar prepares students for the remote yet collaborative work environment of the future. You can learn more about their platform by heading on over to Nectar, that's N-E-C-T-I-R dot I-O, and be sure to tell the team that Jamie sent you their way. I love that. I was, when you were talking, I was thinking about talking about vulnerability, and I recall a time when I was really honest with my team about what I was feeling, and I remember multiple people coming up to me afterwards and saying that my being vulnerable made them feel comfortable being vulnerable back with me. And that let me see problems and challenges that they were having so I could identify ways that I could step in and help and reframe things for them. So I think that's a really good point. Well, well, you know, one of the most, one of the changes that I've made uh, in my my keynotes and presentations that's actually helped tremendously. And and I first did this just kind of, it was an impromptu thought that I had on stage. And when I said it, I could kind of feel the audience go, whoa, like I I felt something different and and I've allowed that to stick for every keynote I've given since then. And it's been a couple of years now. And basically what I said on stage was, and there was a a pretty robust uh, audience. I said, look, folks, uh, I'm not coming from a place of mastery. Like I haven't mastered any of the stuff that I'm sharing with you. Now I've experienced a lot of things and I've tried a lot of things and I'm very proud of the progress I've made and the path that I'm on. And I know that the stuff I'm sharing with you, if applied, can add value. But please know that, that I'm not speaking from a place of mastery, that I find the same stuff you all find challenging, I find challenging. The same stuff that gets you stuck, you know, gets me stuck. The, the same adversities you face, I've probably faced to some degree. And, and by letting down my armor and letting them know, you know, I'm going through this thing called life just like you all are. It actually increased connectivity. You know, I I don't think, I'll I'll just say from personal experience, I don't want to hear from someone that is a proclaimed guru that claims they've got life figured out and knows all the answers. And and I used to be that guy. And when I would, would have that kind of attitude and perspective, it was coming from a place of insecurity. You know, I was so insecure Mm. with myself that I felt the need to put on this false bravado and pretend that I had all of the answers and things figured out. Um, and, and that just wasn't the case. So now I've, I've gotten comfortable with just being open and vulnerable. And the response is very similar to the response that you got. That's one of the, the things people most talk about when we, we chat either online or in person after one of my speaking engagements. They say, man, I, I appreciate you being real and letting us know that you have trouble with this. Because in all honesty, I don't know that any of us have this thing figured out or on lock. We're all doing the best we can with what we have. So let's just own that. And uh, I do. And that's where I think from a leadership standpoint, you know, your team is looking for guidance. They're looking for support. They're looking for encouragement. They're looking for someone that has, you know, vision and is willing to take a risk, but they don't need someone that knows everything and can do everything. Yeah. And showing that you're human gives them space to be human as well. And I think it also gives them a feeling of you see them as a human if you're willing to be human with somebody. I think it 
it indicates that empathy um, that you'll have for them when they're in situations. One of the things you also said jumped out at me was making time versus taking time. Can you talk to me a little bit about that and how you carve out time in, in your day to do that? Most certainly. I would say one of the areas that I believe heightens perceived stress, and we can touch later on why I'm using the word perceived, uh, is lack of time. I mean, I can't tell you how many times uh, I hear that on a regular basis that, you know, well, I would love to read more, but I just don't have time. I, I would love to exercise more, but I don't have time. Um, and, and, and I've been guilty of that as well, you know, again, with the full vulnerability. Um, but I've come to the realization, you know, that, that for the most part, even though time is not guaranteed, we're all playing with the same rough 24 hours every single day. You know, you, you can name anyone that you can think of. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, uh, Warren Buffett, Tom Brady, Jay-Z. Uh, they all get 24 hours in a day just like you and I do. So I've always been fascinated with how they seem to be getting more out of their 24 hours than I was. And I realized it has to do with a few things. One, it has to do with what you prioritize and what you emphasize. It also has to do with, you know, where, where you're putting your energy and where you're putting your focus, so your ability to focus on what you believe is most important. And it comes down to systems and routines and habits, you know, and, and if you can make incremental improvements in each of those different areas, then you'll, you'll see that time will, will start to open up. And uh, yeah, I, I've made so many tweaks over the last several years in particular to really refine most specifically my morning and evening routine. Um, you know, the, the first 60 minutes after I wake up and the last 60 minutes before I go to bed, the bookends of my day, that if I can make the time to be very intentional and purposeful in those two blocks, uh, it opens everything else up. It allows me to be so much more efficient and effective during the meat of the day. Um, so yeah, and, and you can let me know if you want to dive into any of those, you know, uh, pillars anymore, but really it, it comes down to what you emphasize and prioritize, what you focus on and where you direct your energy, uh, as well as the systems and habits that you've created. I remember reading something about how, um, Barack Obama only had, was this in your book, only had two color suits, so he didn't yep. have to spend time picking. And that's something, that's one change I've been trying to make. I don't want to sit and stand in front of my closet for a half an hour in the morning little stupid things like I have a little pack that has everything I need in it for any given day, everything from bandages to adapters for my phone, all of that. And I just grab that pack. I always have it packed up and ready to go the night before. Things like that, that that routine, I can't speak highly enough of that. And it sounds like you're really perfecting that strategy of creating routine. Oh, absolutely. Now, Arguably the most important trait for any human being to possess, I believe, is self-awareness, is, is knowing yourself, knowing how you best operate, knowing your strengths, knowing your talents and your gifts, knowing your dreams, knowing your goals, but it's also having the, the honesty and the vulnerability to look on the other side of the curtain and, and know your weaknesses, your opportunities for growth, your fears, your insecurities, the things that keep you up at night, and having a good grasp of both of those things. And, and with that said, ever since I was a kid, uh, I've known two things about myself. One, uh, I actually like early mornings. Like I, I, I skew more towards going to bed early and waking up early. That is just my natural rhythm and preference. Um, I'm by no means saying that that is right. Everyone needs to find their rhythm. Uh, I have some friends that are equally as productive and they're more of the night owls. You know, they would prefer to do the bulk of their work, you know, when I'm about to go to bed and then they choose to sleep in when I'm getting up. So figuring those things out. Uh, and I've also found ever since I was a kid 
that I've gravitated towards structure. I like consistency. I like routines. I, I'm somewhat of a planner. Uh, I've tried to work on my ability to be spontaneous and flexible, but but you know I, I never want to be rigid. But I like having kind of those guardrails up in my life. It's how I operate best. Now, once again, one of your listeners right now that might make them feel claustrophobic. They might like to to wake up every day and and I don't want to say wing it with a negative connotation. They may like to have a little bit more freedom in how they operate. So knowing how you operate is really important. But no matter what, we as human beings are creatures of habit. Uh, there was a Duke University study that found that 42% of everything we do during our waking hours is habitual, which means almost half of everything we do from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed is on autopilot because we've grooved a series of repeatable behaviors that give us comfort. So um, even folks that don't think they like structure and routine, about half of what they do every day is on autopilot. So it's just important to make sure that the the habits we have and the behaviors we have uh, and these things that are on autopilot, we've designed with intention and we're not just mm -hmm. haphazardly falling backwards into them by default. So uh, for me, you know, I like knowing that when I wake up tomorrow morning, um, I know what I'm going to do for the first hour of my day. Now, it's not penciled in and, and scripted minute by minute, but I know that when I wake up before my day gets going, uh, I try to move my mind, my body, and my heart. I, I try to do something that engages me physically, mentally, and emotionally uh, to lay the foundation for the rest of the day. And then I know for the, the 60 minutes before I go to bed, even this evening, um, that I've got a routine that helps me kind of wind down, uh, unplug, relax, reflect, and hopefully get peaceful sleep so that I can wake up tomorrow and, and get after it again. So having that kind of uh, structure in place and, and some type of loose system um, is in everyone's best interest. And, you know, the folks that I mentioned earlier, you know, whether it's Oprah or Warren Buffett or Tom Brady or Jay-Z, uh, all of them have some type of rhythm or structure or consistent, you know, behaviors that they're following, which is what allows them to, to, to produce at a high level. And I only mention them because they're folks that most of us are aware of. I mean, there, there, there are more high performers out there that we're not aware of than there are those that have that level of fame. Uh, and it's the same thing with those groups as well. One of the things that has absolutely changed my life and I'm not kidding for those listeners is having a before bed routine for that hour before bed I totally plus one you on that that I have slept so much better I wake up much more energized um, it's just having this I do the same things in the same order and it becomes almost um, liturgical in a way like you're you're performing a liturgy or something to to get you into this mindset of sleep and your book talks a little bit about sleep and, and why that's important. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, let's go back to this, this construct of 24 hours that, that technically we're given in a day. And, and if you look at it at like a pie chart, um, most people know that you should get roughly eight hours of sleep. Now, I'm certainly not a sleep expert or a doctor, and I know that that number will vary plus or minus probably an hour or two for some people. But generally speaking, we know that we should sleep about a third of that 24-hour period. Well, uh, when people start to feel crunched for time, and this happens a lot with, with busy executives and sales professionals and entrepreneurs, especially if they're also parents uh, and they're starting to feel crunched for time, one of the first things they do is try to take some out of that slice. They say, all right, well, instead of sleeping for eight hours, if I sleep for four or five 
you know, that will give me X number more hours per day to put in work. And, and at face value, I guess that seems logical, but what they don't understand is by taking away from that portion, that sleep is so important, important excuse me, to our longevity and our vitality and our ability to have mental acuity and focus and high energy physically, when they take away from that, it detracts from every single thing else they, they plan on doing. So it's not an even trade. By, by sleeping three hours less to work three hours more, it's not an even trade because the, the extra work you're doing is done at a much lower level and of much lower quality. So that's the last piece of the pie that you want to detract from. And, and, and you know, I would advise everyone to literally pull out a, a paper and pen, draw a circle, and start creating pie slices for what you value most and what you want to emphasize and where you want to pour your time in. You know, I'll say the big ones for me, uh, and this is not necessarily in order of operations, but just so, you know, we're somewhat sequential and progressive, you know, I've got my slice for, for sleep, which is around eight hours. Next on that, I have time with my, my family. So I'm very amicably divorced, uh, but I have three kids. And on the days that I have my kids, I want to be incredibly present and engaged with them. Um, on the days that I don't, then I'm actually free to work a little bit more and I can do that guilt-free. Uh, but when I'm with them, I want to make sure I'm designating a piece of that pie to be fully connected and invested with them. Uh, I want to make sure that a piece of that pie uh, is going towards my work, my craft, whether it's an actual speaking engagement or it's being on someone's podcast uh, or it's writing a new book or creating social content or whatever it may be. Um, but I want to make sure that I've got a piece of that pie designed for work. Uh, then I want to have a piece of that pie, which I call me time, uh, and that is time every single day blocked off um, for mental, physical, and emotional uh, rejuvenation. So whether that's a workout, uh, you know, going for a run and listening to a podcast, uh, making time to read or watch something, whatever it may be, I've got that me time. Uh, and those are really the four biggest pillars. And you know, if I assign, you know, let's say eight hours to sleep uh, and six to eight hours to work and one or two hours to be with my kids and one or two hours to devote to me time, there's still a little bit of a chunk left over. Uh, and, and I can use that leftover chunk for whatever I want. Now, most of the time that starts to get filled with, you know, daily activities, you know, going to the grocery store and errands and those types of things. But even then, there's still a little bit of time left over. And, you know, you can devote that, or at least I choose to devote that to whatever I want, completely guilt-free. But I'm doing it in the order of operations of I'm filling in the big pieces first and then whatever's left over, I can choose to use. I mean, I would challenge most of your listeners right now to say, when is the last time you put your head on your pillow at night and said, man, I just had a bunch of extra time today. You know, it very <laughs> right. rarely happens. And that's because we work backwards. You know, we, we scroll Facebook for an hour and then try to get that hour back by working a little bit more. And then when we're do working a little bit more, now we can't be home for the family dinner. We don't get home for the family dinner. So now we feel the pressure to do this with the kids. Now we have to stay up a little bit later and it cuts into our sleep and we're about to go to bed and we realize we didn't even get a workout in today or didn't get a chance to, to eat healthy food or, or watch or listen to something that's stimulating. And it starts this vicious cycle. So the key is making time to take control and filling out your pie chart with what you consider most important first and then filling in everything else around that. And, and let me preface this as well. Talk about a moment of vulnerability. I know that I deliver all of this in a very matter-of-fact tone because I do believe that this stuff is incredibly basic in principle. 
None of this is easy. Please don't think for one second that I think anything I've shared so far or anything I'll share in the remainder of our conversation is easy to do. Yeah, it's easy to make this pie chart and create these nice little pieces of pie, but actually living them and not succumbing to temptation or distraction and sticking to them is incredibly hard. And I'm at the point now, most days I do a pretty good job with this. But like we said before, I'm still fallible. I still have an off day. I still have a day where my pie chart is not exactly the way I had intended it when I, I woke up. Uh, and when those things happen, I just learned to give myself some grace and some compassion uh, and just move to the next play because today is always over tomorrow. Absolutely. And I think there's some thinking that you have to do if you're doing this around setting boundaries up. Like I have um, made it clear with um, my boss, who's the president of the university, that at, don't call me after 930 unless something's on fire because I've started my bedtime routine and I will be in bed by 1030. And there's and I'm in bed by 1030, seven days a week. I, I don't check my email after a certain time in the day to try to preserve my mental health and my um, ability to do the things that feed my soul. Um, I carve out time on the weekends and to go hiking and to do things outdoors because that's what feeds my soul. And I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty protective of those, those times. And I think we have a tendency and a lot of us, especially those of us who are leader, you know, executive leaders, um, CMOs, that sort of thing. A lot of us are, can be workaholics. And I think that that, if that's feeding you, that's great. But if you're, health is suffering, if your mental well-being is suffering, you have to think a little bit about how you prioritize your time. And that's that's been really transformative for me, even though I am still feeling stress and burnout, um, I think. But you, you mentioned something earlier about perceived stress. So talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. Right before I touch on that, I, I want to put a pen in what you just shared because there's so much insight there. You know, each and every one of us need to care enough about ourselves mm -hmm. to guard our yard and put those got you know guardrails up put those parameters in place and communicate them effectively um, not only just with with our coworkers and colleagues but with members of our family as well and letting folks know that hey i'm going to try to stay within this framework unless there is an emergency unless there's something you know incredibly unique uh, that requires my attention but this is how i can operate best uh, and I would recommend that everyone does that for themselves. But then if you are in a leadership role, um, making sure that's what's being emphasized and promoted throughout your organization. Uh, the, the mistake I see a lot of leaders make, and I know this is, is well-intended. I, I think they actually lack awareness. They don't realize they're doing this. And to that point, I, I want your listeners to know, you know, uh, awareness is always the first step. You will mm. never improve something you're oblivious to. You mm. will never fix something you're unaware of. So you have to be aware that you're doing it. But what a lot of them do is, you know, on one hand, they say, you know, uh, we, we, we believe in family and we want everyone in this organization to have a work-life balance. And we want to encourage you to be home for family dinner and go see your kid's t-ball game. And then they email you at 11 o'clock at night and expect a response. So they say one thing, but their behavior actually does another. Uh, that's one. And then second is they, they have that same spiel where, you know, we want to reward work-life balance. We want you to be home for family dinners. We want you to go to your kids' t-ball games. But we constantly give bonuses to and or promote mm. the people that don't do those things. The, the people that have chosen to make work their entire existence and are workaholics are the ones that keep getting rewarded even though you've been telling everyone that's not the criteria 
for work. So it's, you're sending a mixed message. So I just mm -hmm. want to make sure that any leader listening to this, you put these guardrails up for yourself. You encourage your team to do the same. And then everyone be very respectful of those guardrails. And these are things that can be, you know, openly discussed and have some open communication with. Because if you do that effectively, and then you go to someone and say, you know, uh, Jamie, I, kn I know you've said you've, you've got these guardrails up, but we have this really important deadline. And for the next couple of nights, I may need you to work a little bit late. You know, is that something you'd be open-minded to doing for this very short-term sacrifice? And you'd more than likely say, yes, absolutely, I can do that. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org. No, as long as it's used very judiciously and, and sporadically, that would be in everybody's best interest. But what I want folks to know is you should want your team to unplug at night and to have family mm -hmm. dinner to go to their kids' t-ball game because they will show up as a better team member, ready to make a more maximum contribution the next day. If you're the type that is trying to grind people out and squeeze every ounce out of them, um, your people will be stressed, they'll stagnate, and they'll get burned out. And then you're going to have very high attrition, and then you got to start the whole process over again. you got to go recruit someone, bring them in, train them, and then just burn them out, and now they're going to leave, and now you got to keep doing it. So if you want to have you know, uh, uh, some longevity to what you're doing, take care of your people. Now, as far as perception, I, I was very specific in using that word because I came to the realization uh, a few years ago that my stress was, I thought my stress was caused by circumstances and events and what people said and what people did. And, and I thought my stress was caused by what was going on in the outside world. Uh, I'm now from the belief that it wasn't, that my stress was caused by my perception of those things. My stress was caused by how I internalized those things. My stress was caused by my resistance to those things. So our stress is not caused by the outer world. It's caused by our resistance to the outer world. So the reason that's incredibly powerful and hopefully empowering and liberating is now we're back in control. Uh, we all acknowledge that we don't control what's going on in the world around us. The world's going to do what the world's going to do, but we are in control of how we respond. And if you can be more mindful and thoughtful in choosing responses that move you forward, it will lower your stress level. Now, just so your listeners don't think I, I live in la-la land or I'm, I'm, you know, I've lost my marbles, I'm not saying that what goes on in the world is to your liking. I'm not saying that what goes on into the world is your preference. I'm not even saying that what happens in the world is necessarily good. I mean, we've, we've seen borderline acts of evil with some of these school shootings over the last few weeks. I'm not saying we condone these things. I'm saying they're outside of our immediate control. And if we resist what is, we increase our stress. If we learn to accept what is and be thoughtful in our response, then we'll lower our stress. And uh, to me, that's where I'm focused on. I pay very little attention 
to the things that happen and I put much more attention into my response to them. And that's given me a, a sense of perceived power that has, has absolutely lowered my stress. I think that's one of the things that I try to talk to my, um, especially early career team about don't borrow trouble. You know, don't look at a problem and assume it's going to escalate into something um, that's going to destroy your world or destroy whatever it is that you're working toward. But sort of take each day as it comes. And I know, you know, sometimes I struggle with that, but I think that's something that really transforms how you think about the problems that you have. And maybe I think perhaps as you're as we're talking, I'm thinking that a lot of the things that I'm dealing with right now aren't exactly stress. It's more there's a lot of pressure to accomplish things. And sure. that's different from stress, I think. Oh, what absolutely. Are... And, and and part of a reframing with that, and, and once again, all I can do is, is speak through my own lens and, and my own experiences. One of the other shifts that I've tried to make is try to focus much more on the process and less on outcomes. And, and mm. this is very easy to say, not easy to do, because I <laughs> right. recognize we live in a very outcome-based society. But, but before I was, I was really allowing my self-worth and my self-confidence mm. and my self-belief uh, to be attached to my achievement. So when I achieved and I hit goals and I hit external metrics, I felt good about myself. When I fell short, I felt pretty lousy. Well, I'm also from the school of thought that if we're setting appropriate goals, we're not hitting them all of the time. You know, mm -hmm. maybe it's a coin flip. Maybe it's 50-50. You hit half of your goals, you fall short half your goals. I mean, if you hit every single goal you set, you probably aren't stretching far enough. You're not challenging yourself enough. If you don't hit any of the goals you set, you're probably aiming way too high and you may need to lower it a little bit based on where you are in your life. So for me, let's just say it's a coin flip. Well, that means by definition, half of the time I feel good, half of the mm -hmm. time I feel lousy. I don't like the, that math. That, no. that is too much of a roller coaster for me. So what I wanted to do, because I knew I was still going to only hit 50% of my goals, is there a way I could still feel good about myself, still feel worthy, you know, still have high self-esteem and self-confidence uh, when I fell short of a goal? And the answer to that is yes, if you learn to love the work and you learn to focus on the process. And when you can focus on the process and the day-to-day, -day, then the achievement and the outcomes and the results just become a byproduct of that. They're no longer the end goal. So I've tried, and, and I'm still a work in progress. This is not easy. I still have setbacks all the time. You know, I've tried to detach from outcomes, not really worry about achievement, and not attach my self-worth to external metrics or external validation. Uh, I try to focus on what I have control over, the, the work that I'm putting in, the contributions that I'm making, the improvement that I'm feeling, and focus on that. And then anything, any goal I hit or, or any external validation I get, is just the cherry on top. It's just the nice to have, but it's simply a byproduct. It's no longer the goal. And, and that shift, um, has been epiphanal as well. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's changed just kind of how I feel on everything. So I'm no longer at the mercy of worrying about all of these external things. I just mm. put my head down. I do my work. I enjoy what I do very much and whatever happens, happens. And when I hit something, you know, I hit a goal, I can celebrate it and, and temporarily feel good about that. When I fall short, I give myself permission to feel how I feel. I learn a lesson on why mm -hmm. I fell short and I just wake up and get after it again the next day. I think that's fantastic advice. 
And this kind of segues into another thing that jumped out at me that you wrote is be where your feet are. Can you talk to me a little bit about what that means to you and how leaders might be able to adapt that way of thinking? Absolutely. So I don't know who to give proper credit for that because I've heard it both from Oprah Winfrey and from Nick Saban, the head football coach at Alabama. So all I know is if those two people are saying it, it has to be true. And and being where your feet are uh, is just kind of a poetic way to say be in the present moment, that wherever your feet are, make sure that's where your head and your heart are as well. Uh, And that's so important in today's day and age because as many people can attest, your feet can be one place but your mind and your spirit can be somewhere else, especially when we're tethered to a device. You know, if you've ever been out at a family dinner and everybody's staring at their phones, everybody's feet are in that restaurant, but nobody's heart and head is in that restaurant. Mm. You know, if you're at your kid's soccer game, but you're checking emails, your feet, you know, are, are sitting in the, the camping chair on the sideline, but that's not where your head or your heart are. And, you know, we could think of a thousand scenarios where that's the case. So for me, my goal is as consistently as possible, and I don't worry about perfection. I'm certainly not present every moment of every day. My goal is to be as present as I can, be where my feet are, you know, as consistently as I can. And that certainly takes practice, but it also takes what are called pre-commitments. It it takes Mm. the ability to do some things in advance to increase the chance that that will happen. So a pre-commitment for me is when I pick my kids up from their mom's house and I'm gonna take them out to dinner, I leave my phone in the car. If my phone is in the car, I physically cannot check it while I'm at dinner. My only option is to be present with my children. And you know, now they're the, of the age that they have phones, I have them make the same pre-commitment that we'll leave our phones in the car, we're gonna enjoy an, an engaged present dinner, and then we can check our phones after. I mean, it's, I'm not anti-technology, but you know, making pre-commitments uh, is a way to, to help increase your ability uh, to be present. I mean, I, I go to my kids' you know, games, and, and I don't say this with an ounce of judgment, because I used to be the parent that was filming every single thing my kids did on the court or field, and, you know, but I, I came to the realization, first of all, I'm never going to watch it. I mean, my <laughs> right. I'm not going to watch it live. I'm definitely not going to watch the playback <laughs> of it. And I found that I was doing it because I wanted to post it on social media mm. to show everyone what a good father I was when all I was doing was showing everyone that I wasn't present at my own kid's game. Uh, so now I, I don't even take my phone with me when I'm, I'm watching my kids play. And, and please know, like I said, I'm not saying that with an ounce of judgment. What, whatever folks choose to do at their own dinners and their own kids' games, you knock yourself out. But for me, I'm trying to constantly untether from technology um, because there was a time where it really had a, a hold on me. And, and I was more concerned with getting the perfect clip to put on Facebook so everyone else would think my kid is awesome instead of just being there to love, watch, and support my children. I think there's some um, great things to take away from that in leading a team too, because one of the things that we did, my senior leadership and I did, is our, our first senior leadership team meeting, I made everybody close their laptops and focus on the conversation. And I remember for me, it was uncomfortable, but one of my team was like, she couldn't, she just couldn't close it all the way. It was like really, really hard for her to do, but we had so much, so much more fruitful conversation by being present and being a hundred percent in the conversation instead of 50% into our email or Slack or whatever is distracting us. And that I think makes those meetings so much more productive. 
Oh, it absolutely does. And and so I'm 46 years old. So I'm of the age where I can remember before technology and I can remember, you know, since we've had technology. So I, you know, I remember, so my, I have 12 year old twin sons and a 10 year old daughter, and I can vividly remember being 12 years old. And what did I do when I was 12 years old? Well, you know, I had an Atari and we had a TV with three different stations, but there wasn't 24 hour programming. So most of what I did, you know, I'd hop on my bike, I'd ride to a friend's house, I'd knock on their front door and ask their parents if they could come out and play. They'd come out and play. We'd shoot hoops or throw the football around or play tag or go in the woods. You know, my parents would just say, just make sure you're home before dark. Then we'll eat a family dinner together. Like, Life was pretty simple back then, but life was pretty good. Uh, and, and I'm not recommending that we go back to that, even if that was what I, I, I chose. But I remember that I was capable of happiness and fulfillment without technology and without all of this external stimulation. So I don't want to get too far away from that. Now, I do believe technology can add tremendous value to what we're doing. I mean, there, there's a reason we have email and Slack channels and, and, and all of these different channels and 24-hour programming and Netflix. You know, if, if used correctly, these things can add value to our lives. We just have to make sure that we're the ones in control of it and we're not letting that stuff control us. And I know for me, um, I was skewing a little bit too far towards always being tethered to my device, always needing some type of stimulation, always trying to document everything that was going on. You know, I was taking more pictures of what was going on in my life than I was experiencing my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once I realized in, that I'd hit that tipping point, now I've started to curtail that. And, um, you know, like any other addiction, and I, you know, very much believe I, I had a phone or device addiction, it wasn't like I woke up the next morning and everything changed. I had to put systems and processes in place that allowed me to slowly wean off and untether, you know? So, you know, some of those things I did were uh, removing a whole bunch of, of different apps from my phone. You know, at mm. present, I don't have social media on my phone. I only have it on my laptop and I only check my laptop when I'm in my physical office and I'm only in my physical office during certain times of the day. So that was a big one. Um, I've turned off all notifications on my phone uh, so that I'm not constantly feeling this draw to, to clear out the red circles and, and, mm-hmm. and red numbers and do all of these things. So I've put some things in place that make me less dependent on my phone. And then as I've said, there are certain times where I don't even take my phone with me. And it took a couple of years to slowly get to that point. Um, so what I would say to anyone listening, if you feel like you need to make those same changes, you know, don't be stifled by perfection, be motivated by progress. Mm. Take your time. You know, one of the beautiful things, uh, if you have an iPhone, I don't know if folks are, are using the, the, the Samsung or Google or anything else, but the iPhone, you can check settings and it'll tell you exactly how long you've been on your phone, how much you've used it, and just make a goal to see if you can slowly decrease that. You know, if, if you were using your phone, you know, whatever, four hours today, see if you can use it three hours and 45 minutes tomorrow or for the rest of the week. Like, figure out ways to just make that progress. Uh, if you think that's something that you need to do. And if you think that's something that's important, uh, once again, this I'm not here to place you know my, my judgment or values on anybody else. So we've talked a little bit about stress and we've talked a little bit about uh, burnout, but your book also addresses stagnation. Can you talk to me a little bit about what that is? Stagnation, for lack of better words, is kind of the, the mental cruise control that we all have a tendency to click when we've reached a certain level, when we feel like, you know what, I've, I've kind of reached this level, it's, 
it's time to relax a little bit. You know, good is good enough. Um, and the reason stagnation is so tricky is uh, it's kind of a numb feeling. It's kind of you're just towing the line of status quo. You're, you're, you're not feeling this amazing elation, but you're also not hitting rock bottom and feeling like you need to make a change. So that's where it can be be somewhat tricky. And for me, I've definitely fell into lulls of stagnation at several key points in my life. Um, so what, what I try and do is remember that my outputs, my mindset, my perspective, my attitude, my mood, the content that I'm creating, what I'm putting out in the world is fully dependent on my inputs, hmm. what I'm reading, what I'm watching, what I'm listening to, who I'm spending time with. So if I want to have high levels of outputs, then I need to make sure I have high levels of inputs. I, I need to constantly challenge myself with what I read, watch, and listen to and who I associate with and who I invest time with so that I'm having this steady stream of stimulating content coming in so that I can hopefully create and repackage stimulating content going out. And I found that the times I stagnate is when I'm I'm not very disciplined in those decisions. Like I I get away from regular reading and listening to podcasts, or you know I'm I'm very complacent with who I've been hanging around, and, and I just kind of need that jolt. Uh, where I'm thankful that I, in my life now, I believe I've got a heightened level of awareness, and I've intentionally insulated myself with people that care enough about me to tell me when they think I'm stagnating mm. uh, to help jolt me out of that. So I'm not immune to it. And certainly not going to say that I'm not going to be stagnant ever again for the rest of my life. I just hope that when I start to click on that mental cruise control, either I'll have the self-awareness to recognize it and jolt myself out, or I'll have someone that cares enough about me to give me a little elbow and say, hey man, you're just kind of on the, the hedonic treadmill or you're just kind of treading water you know, you're not really coming up with anything new and, and that will hopefully jolt me out of it. Kind of an accountability partner for lack Absolutely. of a better word. Yeah. Yep. Well said. So I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Before we wrap up, I was hoping to get maybe three or four concrete things that people can do to address either stress, stagnation or burnout. Absolutely. So the first one is, and as much as I love technology, I'm still kind of old school and analog. So what I'd recommend everyone does is make some time, take out a piece of paper uh, and draw a line down the middle, a vertical line. So you've got two vertical halves. And on the left side of the paper, come up with a list of the things that fill your bucket. Like what are the things that charge you up, that give you energy, that make you smile, that improve your confidence, um, that you love to do? You know, these, this could be taking a Peloton class or doing some yoga stretches or taking your dog for a walk. It could be watching a documentary or listening to a good podcast or reading a book. Uh, could be, you know, having coffee with a loved one or, you know, meditating or prayer or whatever it may be. But come up with a list of the things that fill your bucket. Then on the other side of the paper, I want you to write down how you've been spending the bookends of your day. You know, what has your morning routine and evening routine been for the last couple of weeks? And then I want you to compare the two sets of notes, the two sides of the paper, and ask yourself, are you making time in your morning and evening routine to do the things that fill your bucket? Like, are the things on list number one, are you putting them into your daily schedule? And, you know, if you do this with some honesty and some vulnerability, uh, chances are you'll start to uncover what are called performance gaps. And that's the gap between what we know we should do and what we actually do. Mm -hmm. You know, we know we should uh, hop on our Peloton bike and get some exercise, but we haven't done that for four weeks. So the goal is to start to close that gap. 
to start to be very intentional about taking the things on, on the left side of the paper and integrating them on the right side of the paper. And once again, you don't have to change everything at once. You know, if you can sprinkle just a 10 to 15 minutes of something mm. into your morning or evening routine, it will make a huge difference. And uh, it will improve your, your, you know, your energy level and focus and mental acuity in the present, but it will also improve your longevity and your vitality in the long run. Uh, and those are certainly the foundation of being able to hopefully do your best to ward off stress, stagnation, and burnout. I love that. That is such great advice. And I am doing that tomorrow. I'm absolutely because I and I think I do a fairly good job of making sure I get a hike in, making sure I get mm -hmm. I, my husband and I paint and I'm not good at it, but I like to do it, you know, at least once a week and all of that. But there's I'm sure there's tons of things that I'm spending my time on that are not feeding my soul. Um, and, and I think that's fantastic advice. So, um, Alan, this has been such a great conversation. I so appreciate you giving me a slice of your time and our listeners a slice of the time. Where can people find you if they want to gather more wisdom from you? Oh, this has been so much fun as well. I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, if, if folks are interested in anything else, uh, my main website is allensteinjr.com. I have a supplemental site, strongerteam.com, uh, info on, I, I have an online course, I do some exclusive one-on-one -on -one coaching, have a podcast, some books, just some supplemental materials. Uh, and then I'm very easily found on social media, at Alan Stein Jr. Um, you know, you can shoot me a DM on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter or Facebook uh, if you want to keep this conversation going. If, if something we talked about resonated or you want to challenge something or even ask a question, uh, I take pride in being very accessible as well as very responsive. Uh, so just shoot a line there. And if anyone's interested in either raise your game or sustain your game, uh, you can get them wherever you get your books or audio books. And uh, yeah, this was so much fun. And, and certainly if any of your listeners need anything moving forward, I'd be honored to serve. So my team's actually using the book as a book club, and I'm hoping it can help reinforce the message that we're trying to send about family time and making sure that you're taking care of yourself and getting good sleep and setting boundaries and all of that. So I'm really excited to, to start that book. This has been a fantastic conversation. Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening. As always, you can find me on Twitter at, at Jamie Hunt IMC. That's J-A-I-M-E-H-U-N-T-I-M-C. My parents named me after the bionic woman. So that's with the weird spelling. You can also find me on LinkedIn. And as always, um, hope you engage in conversation around this at using the hashtag HireEdCMO on social media. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey, y'all. Zach here from Enrollify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO with Jamie Hunt. If you like this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing learning community of 4,000 members, and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.